Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, episode 500. Holy shit, we did it. I know, I know this podcast was around a lot longer, so we've probably had way more than 500 total, but as long as I have been here, we have now hit 500, and by we, I mean myself, and none other than PFS Finest, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Happy 500, Dwayne. Yeah, man, um, that's an awesome achievement, dude. Um, you know, we did you're, it. You're, 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 we! You're super... We! Your okay, name's on the I'll podcast. Take, yeah, yeah, I'll take some credit, um, but you're super humble. Uh, about how hard you work and like how much content that you put out and not just to put it out, but like really quality content, man. And so uh, I'm super happy to get to be part of it. I mean, how many, I'm I'm probably been a part of what, like a hundred, I would guess. I'd say more, maybe more. Well, I guess I did. I was doing a few with you even back in the day before I really worked full time at PFF, but my guess is somewhere around there. I'll have to, we'll have to figure it out, but dude, it's, it's awesome. I'm happy to be a part of it. And man, Melbag, Melbag, listening yeah, to the people buddy. on episode 500. That is what it's all about. Great day to be great. And couldn't have, obviously, couldn't have done it without the listeners. So thank all you guys, you know, and then so many of you reached out when we were doing the surveys and everything. Just uh, truly thankful and uh, excited to get 500 more. So let's uh, focus on continuing to get better. And yeah, I want to start doing these mailbags more frequently. Uh, Dwayne, we're, we still have a while to go with our team previews, but I think starting in July, uh, we can definitely lean more into some live shows and try to get you guys, you know, more engaged, interactive as we're doing these. Cause you know, ultimately we're trying to help you. So answering those questions going to just help us all. So with that, Dwayne, we sent out a tweet asking for questions for this podcast. Many of you were happy enough to send some in and now we're going to answer every single one as of about 2 p.m. on Friday, June 10th. So if I missed it, apologies. Just hit me up and I'll answer it. We're good. Got time. It's freaking and, and Joel Versosa. I know you'd mentioned that you sent me something. I never got a DM. I just want to call out up front. So <laughs> I don't know if you sent it to the wrong person. You may want to go check. Like someone may have got a random weird fantasy football DM from you, but we'll do it next week if you send it to me or Ian. So, first question from Miguel Akade. How much does your ranking for best ball and redraft change for PPR? And also, do you guys use the same strategy for redraft and best ball? We usually, like, I don't know about you, Dwayne. I, when I just make my one set of kind of like normal rankings we have right now, I go under the assumption of full point PPR. I don't love it compared to half point, but I just think most leagues these days are PPR. Uh, generally, I would say the rule of thumb as you get in, as you go from PPR to half point and then standard, you just want to prioritize running backs more and more because of those larger workloads. Like at that point, you know, when we're not getting the extra point per the reception, we just want to actually take those bigger workloads on as much as possible. So uh, before we get to the key differences in redraft versus best ball, that sound uh, pretty much the same to you, Dwayne? Yeah, I think just a couple of other little nuances, but go right along with what you're talking about. So as you move over to half and to standard, obviously um, your guys like J.D. McKissick, Naheem Hines, they go down in value, yeah. but your typical RBs go up. So your your guys that may not get catches but have a chance to score touchdowns, like they actually go up in value. Gibson, Jacobs, players. those guys that like we don't care as much about right now, they become factors much more like in a tier with a lot of these other guys, you know, they move up for sure. Um, and then the same thing with uh, slot receivers that don't catch a lot of touchdowns, like they go down, right. As you move to half and then as you move over to full. So like, I, I like Connor Renfro more, the most obviously in PPR then I like him a little less in half, but still like him. Um, but then once you get over to standard, right. Just not as, not as, you know, not somebody that I want to be targeting quite as much. Same thing for a guy like Jacoby Myers, where he can come through on PPR for you, despite the fact we don't love the offense, but he's the leading target on the team for the Patriots. Like we know he's going to get his catches, but is he going to score his touchdowns? And so 
those those are the other there's some different archetypes that you know we see a little bit different strategy with where some of them are, are case by case but yeah i think we've hit most of it then looking at the key differences in redraft versus best ball, I just kind of jotted down four notes that pop into my head. But uh, the number of qu- quarterbacks and tight ends is one of the key differences. You only, if in a typical redraft league, like you only need one quarterback and probably one tight end. It's just so easy to stream them later in the year when you need them. I would much rather, particularly if you're doing the redraft uh, earlier, um, you know, in july potentially or early august like just give yourself a lot more darts with like running backs that could see their workload really get bigger with a preseason injury or something like that as opposed to taking a backup tight end that like is not going to start unless an injury happens and these positions again they're just so much more streamable same thing with defense uh than running backs and wide receivers that i think it makes sense to uh limit the exposure and redraft also just being more okay with volatility you know people like tyler lockett or mike williams last year that it's almost like a bad thing in redraft because we you know we start them in the wrong weeks and they go off on your bench and then they when you start them they only give you three points the boomer bust wide receivers they're made for best ball because when they bust they're on your bench and when they boom they're freaking booming in your lineup so not having to actually set that and worry about you know the peaks and valleys of those more volatile players obviously a good thing and then yeah just also realizing the number of people you're playing against like we're in these tournaments a lot of times against thousands hundreds of thousands of other lineups so you do want to shoot for the moon be a little bit different if you're playing against 12 guys then no it really doesn't behoove you to try to take all these risks going away from ADP and stuff because you're only competing against 12 people and Dwayne you have uh, the final note where looks no, like you said you you said you have four points I think this last one is also yours Ian. I didn't I didn't see <laughs> you added it but Dwayne uh congratulations I was just so gonna let you go congratulations I, I didn't even read it at first I, I didn't even notice uh just I'm <laughs> I'm happy that you made it six minutes in this podcast without bringing up a uh, week 17 matchup so kudos to you yeah no and look all you know all joking aside like it's really just for the big tournaments. Like, you know, yeah. if you're playing in the puppy, if you're playing over an underdog on, you know, best ball mania three, here, here's the big challenge you're going to have. Once you, if you may happen to make it through, which is going to be so rare anyway. Right. And you're in that last week and you're all of a sudden playing against 400 people. It's, it basically turns into a DFS tournament at that point. Right. So if you're in there and let's say 70% of your opponents have correlated and then maybe 30% haven't, if any of those games hit that those players have correlated, like it's going to be tough, right, for you to deal with, just like it would be in a DFS tournament. So, but don't let it drive your draft strategy. So, just for folks to be clear, when we say correlating, that means game stacking. So, for example, if you take Cooper Cup in the first round um, and you're coming back through on the third round and you're torn between Mike Williams and I don't know, uh, I'm trying to think, like DJ Moore. Right. Just take Mike Williams, like because he's going to be playing Cooper Cup in week 17. If you've got those two players in your same tier right now, I have those players three spots apart. Right. So you're not you're not breaking your tier. You're not, um, you know, going way off of your rankings. You're still using ADP, all these different things. And where you can really do it is in the late rounds. You know, like if you grab Justin Fields as your QB, two, and, you know, say you're sitting in round 14, you're like, man, I need an RB five. Okay, well, then you can just say, what about Williams from Detroit? What if what happens if DeAndre Swift doesn't have the role we think or DeAndre Swift gets hurt? Right. And Jamal Williams has a full down workload for whatever reason on week 17. And you get a matchup against, you know, Justin Fields like they're just small tiebreakers like that. You don't have to feel like it's everything. Um, and, and again, still ADP value. I still care more about like I, I pass stacks all the time 
when there's a player that's sliding 15 spots past ADP. I'm like, up oh, just because here's the thing. You can make your lineup unique just by building a monster. You yeah. know, so Ian, and I think that's where you've been trying to go, you know, is say, look, great, week 17 is nice. But at the end of the day, like there's more than one way to make your roster unique. And I watch people all the time pass 20 spots of ADP value just to try to make their stack. I don't recommend doing that. I've gotten like Tyler Lockett, like my last three drafts, just because he's going outside like the top 40, sometimes 45 wide receivers. So yeah, at a certain point, it's like, just take the guy with the massive freaking ADP discrepancy. Uh, you always have a chance later with some of these backdoor stacks anyway. So next and question. to your point, for yeah. whatever reason, like that, all those correlated lineups make it to, you know, the top 400 or whatever in best ball mania and say, you know, there's like 30% that aren't worried about it. Like if none of those other games go off, like, which is going to be hard because people are correlating everything. But if, if, if none of those games really go off, I mean, there is a scenario where just, you know, an optimized lineup, right. Can win. We've seen people do that in smaller DFS tournaments. We've seen people go in and not even worry about, you know, stacking their lineups um, or correlating their lineups and just, just optimizing, just saying, Hey, I just think this is the best player at the best value. And we, and we see contests still get won at times that way. Just not as much as what we used to. Next question from Matt Lang at underscore Matt Lang underscore. Why is Daryl Henderson not an obvious smash? Acres situations unknown how explosive he still is. Kyron has the broken foot. And how do you think the Jags targets will shake out behind Kirk? Marvin Jones seems like a late round smash. Visca, Zay, Ingram, Arnold. Stay away from all question mark, question mark. So first off with Daryl Henderson. Yeah, I mean, this is one of these situations where uh, it's like, why is he not an obvious smash? And I kind of think the same thing i mean at least to an extent i have him rb40 in front of guys like you know rashad penny alexander madison khalil herbert because i'm more confident in him actually having some standalone value in addition to that real nice upside he would obviously have if acres is not going to be the same guy and or he suffers another injury so i still take guys like michael carter melvin gordon rojo ahead of him but adp RB46, I'm fine with it. I mean, just the difference in Cam Akers' usage down the stretch in 2021 compared to 2020, it's just being swept under the rug a little bit. I mean, look, when he played that final game against the Packers, like he played 96% of the snaps in the divisional round. In the Super Bowl, man, he was at... 57%. In the NFC Championship, he was at 39%. Sony Michelle worked ahead of Cam Akers in the NFC freaking championship, man. So it's just the usage. I haven't even brought up the fact that Akers was objectively very bad. Rushing the football, efficiency-wise, coming back from the injury, I would expect him to be healthier in 2022 and beyond. But Dwayne, like Sean McVay's a smart guy. I think he's seen Gurley and now Akers and even Henderson to an extent. Like so his running backs are breaking down every time he tries to give them this feature role they didn't exactly overflow the backfield with more guys but i really think what we saw in the super bowl more of a 60 40 split uh between acres and henderson that's my expectation for 2022 yeah that's my expectation you know as well i, I do like henderson at cost i have him in the same tier with a lot of the guys you just named i don't necessarily prefer him over madison but i agree that you could get some spike week value because madison is 100 just tied to cook going down but the thing is, what we've seen with Madison is just a higher ceiling, you know, if his starter goes down than what we've seen from with Daryl Henderson. The only thing with Henderson, you know, is I think even last year when we saw him fully take it over and I was talking about it in the utilization report, like, and people were, you know, we were all excited about it, right? Because he now had this full-time role. He was essentially, you know, almost as close to an absolute every down back, like 80 and 85% of snaps on some weeks. Like he was there. 
Um, but I think we've seen at this point with Henderson, like the underlying talent just is not that great. You know, his yards after contact are below the NFL average. Missed tackles force are below the NFL average. Explosive rush rate is better, right, than Cam Akers. It, like, he almost not, not quite doubles up Cam Akers, um, even looking back to Cam Akers' rookie season before he got hurt. So he is a little bit more explosive. Um, but I think we just – I see Henderson, you know, last year I still saw a little bit more of, wow, he still could really be something. What if he gets his role? Now I kind of look at it as – well, he's going to get the volume, and I'm happy with it. Um, but I just don't know that I see as much upside as I used to think Henderson might have. But but again, like where you're getting him, I'm totally good with the ADP. It also is on the Rams, right? And the Rams down the stretch over weeks 15, 16, 17, all those things are good matchups, right? So there's a lot of um, you know value in looking at him, especially over like in the best ball tournaments and stuff. There's a lot of things to like about Henderson. Only thing, yeah, I mean, Echo, same things with Henderson. But the one thing with Madison, man, someone that I was really high on throughout the earlier parts of the offseason, when I went on um, Ace Vikings beat reporter Matthew Collar's uh, Purple Insider podcast, my thought with Madison was in the new offense, he would have maybe a chance of some standalone value. And then if Cook goes down the same role, Matthew's point was that if Cook goes down, he could actually see it being far more split up now between Madison and Kane Nwangnu. Obviously, the rising second-year running back who had those kick return touchdowns last year. Like, I don't. I think Madison is a much more established running back than Kane. But you know what? If Matthew's going to be saying that like he knows the Vikings a hell of a lot better uh, than I do. And for that to be enough of a risk for him to kind of take that stance, you know, I love the number change, but Madison going to number two, he's going to look faster. You know, you can definitely get that single digit number, shave a tenth of a second off the 40 time. But I do wonder if uh, maybe just passing on him and getting guys like Khalil Herbert or Michael Carter a couple rounds later maybe makes sense with that in mind. I'll, I'll be very curious to see what the preseason snaps look like, Dwayne, because, yeah, if we see Madison, you know, all of a sudden, because that was the case a couple years ago when Amir Abdullah was there, like he would steal the pass down work. So Madison would be a faller if we had any reason to believe uh, Kane Nawanu is going to be used as more of a 2B. Yeah. And that's something to me, like, so, I mean, I didn't know that I haven't heard that piece of information. So I think that's a good, you know, insight. Um, I'm more of a believe it whenever I see it to your point, like more in training camp and not to discount anything like that a beat reporter, you know, says I've just doing this so long. I've followed these kind of stories so much that, you know, it's hard to decipher it all at this point. So, you know what my favorite, I think the person that is in this industry has always phrased this best really is Sigmund Bloom. And he talks about that consistent drumbeat. Yeah. When you're hearing it, no TAs, then you're hearing it in minicamp, then you're hearing it in training camp. Then it's time to be like, okay, you know, break tap. Right. Um, Unless it's the 49ers beat reporters. Then I think we should just start a hedge fund that goes the complete opposite (laughs) of whatever said. And it's not their fault. Right. It's that the 49ers don't share anything. (laughs) They don't let them know. Like, and I think there's constant smoke screens. So anyway, now, with that Jaguars pecking order, um, invite you, Matt, to check out our Jaguars team preview where we go into this very in-depth. But if I had to guess in terms of the receivers and stuff, I'd say Christian Kirk, number one, Marvin Jones, the two, probably Zay Jones, but him and Evan Ingram, I could see having very similar target share. I'm of the opinion that Evan Ingram is going to be the pretty much undisputed lead tight end, expecting 80% snaps and routes alike over Dan Arnold, who, you know, he did some okay things, but I think it was more so in a terrible offense. And look, the dude's been on four teams over the last like three seasons. So I just think Evan Ingram getting that one year, but 9 million plus, regardless, he will be out there most of the time. And just where he's going in drafts, like tight 
tight end 26, 24, like just, just after a bunch of guys that have very similar questions, I'm happy to scoop him up as your number three tight end late. But honestly, Dwayne, like, we talked about Christian Kirk and at cost, he's okay. Still going outside the top 40 guys, but all this uncertainty in the passing game just makes me want Travis Etienne even more because he could feasibly be at least the number two. Hell, who knows? Number one, like forget the Debo Samuel role, man. Travis Etienne is a running back. His best case scenario, if James Robinson's completely out of the picture, is going to look a little CMC-esque. And I think his worst case scenario, if by some miracle, James Robinson is ready to go in week one, I think Robinson is going to be their version of Jamal Williams and ETN will probably be the more fantasy friendly DeAndre Swift anyway. Yeah, I don't I don't really know that any of these players distinguish themselves as really being the target leader. Sure. I see the Jaguars offense as probably really being this spread around attack where we're not quite sure, right, who is going to lead the team each week. If we have to pick someone, obviously we give it to Kirk. But really when you look at his profile, he profiles as a wide receiver four for most of his career. If you look at his PFF receiving grades, his targets per route run, all those things also line up really to wide receiver four. Now, last year he did have that wide receiver three finish, so he finally kind of broke out, you know, and got into the top 36 finishers in a PPR format, um, you know, and he did he did back that up with a wide receiver three worthy PFF receiving grade and yards per route run, but his targets per route run were still in wide receiver five territory. And that was even with DeAndre Hopkins missing a lot of time or playing hurt most of the season. I just feel like we're kind of at the point with Kirk. I like him. I like him as an NFL asset, I just don't know that I think that even he is really going to separate himself that much from the rest of these guys because, again, you have to be good enough to earn targets. I think Christian Kirk has probably shown us about how good he is, and I think he's probably an 18 to 20% targets per route guy at this point. And so that could still end up being okay, like if the Jaguars have to throw a lot, but just how many touchdowns can they score, all that kind of stuff, I don't know. So I think it's going to be a lot closer Um, But I think it's also going to be tough each week, Ian, to really know. So I'm actually with you. I think ETN is the guy that because at running back, like if you can get 14 to 15 percent target share, that's huge, right? At receiver, that's nothing. (laughs) At receiver, that you can't start that really. You know, as much as you know, we may be like, oh well, you know, 18 percent target share sounds really good for a certain player. Those usually are guys that are real fringy, right? You need them to come through with some touchdowns, some big plays, things like that. I think you'll get some of those from the Jags. I mean, you know, you put Marvin Jones number two. I think there's a chance of Marvin Jones if he's healthy, is even as old as he is. Like he and Christian Kirk are basically locked or are the same. Yeah. Because Marvin Jones has actually been a wide receiver too multiple times in his career. He's actually shown to be able to do more than Kirk. Now he's at the age cliff, like it could fall off. So I'm not saying guys go draft Marvin Jones early. I'm just saying he's fine as a late round dart, you know, if you want to throw one. So I think it's more spread out. And I do think the ETN is the potential big winner because of the position that he plays. And and that that type of target share at his spot would be really good. Couple questions here from at he Tiggins. <laughs> Justin Jefferson at the 101 in 12 man PPR redraft. Like, this is just one of those things that I like to bring up closer to like in August or when people are actually drafting. But like, you know, we spend so much time talking about like Jonathan Taylor versus Christian McCaffrey. They're both fucking incredible. Just like Justin Jefferson is awesome. Like he's not, he should not go outside the top four picks. If you really want to take Jefferson over Jonathan Taylor, like, no, I don't think you should, but come on, you still have Justin Jefferson on the team. So like, 
At this point in the draft, though, I do think you should probably just take the uh, running back before uh, Justin Jefferson. Dwayne, you have some pretty good numbers showing just the, the upside and full PPR scoring that running backs can give you. But just, again, like these guys are so good, and we spend so much time talking about them being up there. You're getting an incredible player regardless. If you just if Jefferson's your favorite player, which I don't know, seems like T. Higgins is your favorite player. Uh, but if Jefferson is your favorite guy, like, you know, go ahead and take him. Fantasy supposed to be fun. You're not completely fucking yourself over. Uh, just don't do anything too crazy at the top of drafts. Don't be reaching on, you know, a guy two rounds in excess. Yeah. If those are your two favorite receivers, Justin Jefferson and T Higgins, that that's a really good two in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, with Jefferson, look, I love him. I have him as my wide receiver one um, over Cooper cup right now, just checks every single box we want to see at his age. Like he's a, he's a freaking alpha. And, and guess what? He's guys like that. Eventually, just on variance alone, they are going to have an enormous season, right? He's probably going to have one of these 380-point seasons. I I can't tell you when. It could be this year. It could be next year. It could be the year after. You know, it might not be for another four years. As good as he is, you know, um, it could still come later. Like, I expect Justin Jefferson to be really good for a long time. But having said all that, like, if you just look, it's more around, like, the theory of of fantasy football. And so when you look at a PP, this is in a PPR format, which is what, you know, you, you had asked about for redraft. If you look oh, since 2011, we usually only get about two to five players every year that are in that 22 plus points per game in the PPR format. And, and since 2011, 68% of them have been running backs. 32% have been wide receivers. So that alone tells us that even though we're taking on more injury risk with the top two picks selecting the running back, we know that the upside is still worth it. And here's the other thing. If you bump it to really like league crushing status, which is 25 plus points per game, 80% of those players have been running backs. 20% has been wide receivers. So when you're up there, look, I've done it. I've done it every way. Um, You know, I've even, I've mixed in, you know, I haven't mixed in Jefferson at the one, one yet this year because I haven't had the one, one yet actually in any drafts, but I've had the two and the three several times. And I've taken, uh, I've taken Cooper Cup over CMC. I've taken Justin Jefferson over CMC. I've taken CMC over both of them. But at the end of the day, like when I'm done with all my exposures, I I want at least half of those teams to be CMC and maybe a 25% Jefferson, 25% Cup, something like, or 30% Jefferson, 20% Cup, something like that, just because we just want access to that huge, huge upside that we can get with running backs. And again, that's what keeps running backs in the conversation in round one, even as you move down through the round. Um, We know that we, again, like we can help avoid injuries with receivers, but high end access to the huge seasons. Now, again, they have to have the pass. It's better if they have the passing down role. Um, But for me, I'm, I'm sticking with the running back up there, you know, for the most part. Quick dynasty thoughts on Devontae Smith. I have him as a low-end wide receiver, too. Would take him ahead of some of the veterans like Keenan Allen, Amari Cooper, Mike Evans, Tyler Lockett, DeAndre Hopkins. I think the tougher calls are the Waddles, McLaurins, Goblins, Elijah Moores, Michael Pittmans of the world. But, hey, man, like, if we are looking at the Eagles, one of these organizations that obviously has been in the market for a big quarterback upgrade, this time next year, like, Devontae Smith really could be one of those number two, or if not a number one wide receiver. Receiver uh, in this offense that we are just really um, in on. So he really checked a lot of the boxes we were hoping for as a rookie in terms of a talent. Uh, Dwayne, I think you also have him in your top 24 pretty easily. Yeah, top 24. He has a first round pedigree, you know, in the NFL draft. Wide receiver three is a rookie. That's already a really good mark. And 
he had a wide receiver two worthy PFF receiving grade as a rookie. So he didn't just finish as a wide receiver three. He also is underlying overall, like, hey, comparing him to other NFL receivers, period. You know, he was at the wide receiver two mark. Pat Fryermuth, look, I have him, I think, tight end 10. He's for sure a top 12. I, I would like my Zach Gentry question to get answered at some point, Dwayne. I just, uh, I literally typed in Zach Gentry on Google, and three days ago, the first thing that popped up, Pat Fryermuth expects Zach Gentry to be asked to do more and to excel in his role this year. It was, bro, like, why did Zach Gentry run more routes than Pat Fryermuth in the wild card round, and why is that going to change? Uh, I'm just not going to depend on the one data point. Like, I'll let you go with that. I'll what a, what about when Ebron was there? What about when Ebron and Vance McDonald were splitting stuff right down the middle? I think they like using two tight ends. Yeah, I mean, they they may like using two tight ends. I'm just looking at Pat Fryermuth. I think he's a lock top 12 dynasty, probably top 10. Targets per route run, you know, as a rookie, you know, was in, was on par with what we expect, you know, of a mid-range tight end one already. Um, you know, so, and I think just looking at it, like, you know, he pushes ahead of Ertz and Gronk who are older, you know, I would put him in a tier with Okwabunum, uh, Smith Jr., Knox, like he's in that range. If you want to take some of those other guys over him, I think that's fine. Um, but over, over time and dynasty, I'm just not worried about Zach Gentry. Like I'm especially not worried about Zach Gentry, you know, in dynasty. I will say just going through the list again, I have him 10th, so I'm not saying to fade Pat Fryermuth, but really aren't many smashes. And I think that just goes to show how valuable it can be to have, you know, one of the Kyle Pitts, Mark Andrews of the world, particularly in a tight end premium uh, sort of league. Finally, J.K. Dobbins. I think he's a mid-tier RB2. Dwayne, you said RB15-ish. I think that's very fair. I have him ahead of guys like Montgomery, Mitchell, Jacobs, Aaron Jones, Zeke, Miles Sanders. But I just, especially at running back, man, like I think we already maybe, you should be trying to win. Like We we overrate our ability to look like five-plus years into the future in Dynasty. At running back, I really think you're better off looking only two to three years ahead and just, you know, again, trying to figure out where these running backs are going to be in three years. They could be out of the freaking league, uh, any of these guys. So I would probably still take guys like Saquon, Eckler, Kamara, Chubb, Dalvin Henry ahead of Dobbins. That is where it gets a little more interesting, though. Yeah, I think Dalvin and Henry is where that list gets, and maybe Chubb is where yeah. the list gets interesting for me. Um, Eckler, Barkley, and Kamara have this very unique thing because they can catch passes, which can elongate right, right. A, a running back's career. If you're really just a between-the-tackles banger, you're at more risk. We could argue Dalvin has a little bit of that upside as well. We haven't ever seen it fully unleashed, but just watching Dalvin play, I don't really doubt right that he can be a good receiver like we've seen it. Um, Chubb and Henry, you know, not that they can't, but their teams just don't use them that way, right? They're really swing past guys. They're getting older. So I might consider Dobbins, you know, over them or if I'm in a spot, you know, where I can trade back, you know, from a pick where I would have to be facing one of those two players to get a guy like Dobbins. I would do that. Um, we do have Gus Edwards with two more years left. Um, he is entering age 27 season. Um, so, I mean, Edwards is starting to get up there, but doesn't really have a lot of tread on the tires. You know, they're both coming back from injury. Um, you know, I'm more concerned, you know, like we talk about Fryermuth and, you know, splitting time with a guy like Zach Gentry, I'm more concerned about the long-term trend, you know, with Harbaugh splitting up his backfield, right? Like that's something we've really just seen, you know, for a long time. So ever since um, Ray Rice, pretty much, right? Yeah. Ray Rice was the last one we really saw. Now, again, it it can also come down to if you really have a, a great player, right? How do you go, go ahead and use them, Right. Um, now I do believe there was an, I feel like there was an out on Gus Edwards contract after this year. Um, I couldn't find the details on it. So, I mean, maybe if somebody has something to send to us and we can follow up on it, but 
Um, I haven't heard, I, I Googled and searched for it. I couldn't find any sort of rumblings on any potential release of Edwards this off season. So I just kind of let that go. But yeah, I think RB 15 is just right, you know, for Dobbins. They would leave 1.25 million in dead money. If they get rid of him after June 1st yeah. last year, they'd save 4.3 against the cap. So they feasibly could, but even then, man, like I don't think they're going to get rid of Gus and then just be like, all right, JK, you're the guy. They probably draft someone else, you know, decently high. So like, like Dobbins, but I don't think Lamar is going anywhere. And I don't think the committee backfield's going anywhere. So it's just, you know, if it was JK, I agree. Do- they just, they, they put those options in there for a reason. Right. You know, and one of them might be, well, what if he gets hurt? So, I mean, I don't know. I can't read the future for sure. Just kind of throwing it out there. But but I agree. I think they're going to keep Gus. I mean, yeah. especially after what they went through last year, I think they're going to feel like they need multiple backs. It's Look, I mean, look at the list of running backs that ever averaged six yards per carry. Like, Dobbins is a straight baller. If he was – if you switch Cam Akers and, like, J.K. Dobbins, we'd be all over, um, you know, Dobbins oh. basically anywhere. But that's not the reality, unfortunately. And finally, last question is from at Heat Tiggins. An IDP episode, absolutely. We actually have John Macri grinding some IDP stuff at PFF as he's been doing for quite some time now. I know he released his, I believe, top 300 uh, not too long ago. So truly give John a follow, all you IDPers out there, at PFF underscore Macri. But we'll get John on here. After the team previews are over, we want to go through all the strategy stuff, really help you guys. So we'll have John talking IDP. And Dwayne, as much as I hate them, they are in fantasy leagues. We will get Denny Carter on here and talk some freaking kickers once, one time (laughs) in one episode, and then never again. Well, that's the perfect person to have on for Kicker Talk, for sure. <laughs> All right, from Vinny. This is actually one of my best friends, Vinny. I'm, Dwayne, um, I need to go to the uh, expo on Saturday morning because Vinny is getting married on Friday night. So at least he didn't get married on the day of the expo or the drafts, but damn it, at Polymath321. Do you view Najee losing Big Ben as a net positive or negative offense? Should be better, but losing all those checkdowns could hurt. We were talking before the show, Dwayne, about uh, how silly it is, how certain tweets like get more attention than others. And I was saying how I thought I sent out one of my most actionable and well-researched tweets of the, you know, maybe last month or so about some of Najee Harris pass down usage. And it's like 11 likes. And, you know, I'm sure if I just tweeted Najee Harris and nothing else, it'd get like 200. So Twitter stupidness, hijinks aside, whatever the hell you want to call it. (laughs) I needed to make it a thread, Ian. If you would have made that a thread... You would have killed it. Why tweet something once when you can just drag it out in the 10 tweets and spend four, <laughs> 469 hours doing it? Anyway, with this situation, I wanted to look at exactly how Najee got his targets last year and then what Mitch's kind of history was of feeding them. Because on the surface, it's like Najee got a ton of targets. Tariq Cohen, Tariq Cohen got a ton of targets from Mitch Trubisky. You know, why shouldn't it add up? I will say, though, man, if you look at Najee, he really stood out last year in terms of not many at all of his targets coming on screens. I mean, only 14% of his targets came on screens. That was the sixth lowest mark among 54 qualified running backs. Nobody had more total checkdown targets than Najee. Najee had 34 checkdowns last year. Tariq Cohen, 2017-2019 combined, had only 24 checkdowns from Mitch Trubisky, and he was being used. He had like a kind of a bigger average target depth downfield. But even then, only Alvin Kamara had more screen targets than Tariq Cohen during this time, man. So I just, 
Najee was getting a ton of his targets just through the, um, not through the screen game, but through checkdowns. I'm not so sure Mitch or Kenny Pickett are going to be giving him the same sort of workload on that. And I'm not sure Pittsburgh is going to all of a sudden ramp up the screen usage just to get the ball into Najee's hands. I mean, again, he has the volume and that's why we're not too worried. I, I don't think you can rationalize ranking Najee worse than fifth, but I will absolutely take a lot of wide receivers, I think, ahead of Najee because as much as the workload is pretty great, Dwayne, like, doesn't it matter a little bit how freaking bad he was last year? Like, why do we only hold uh, a player being bad against Saquon and against Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? But when we see Najee, Alvin Kamara, even James Conner, like, putting up just bad efficiency stats, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I think people <clears throat> hold it against Najee as well, which is why he's going so low despite only being a rookie last year, but he hasn't had the injuries, right? That's what's getting it, you know, for Saquon. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. Um, overall, my biggest concern with Najee, look, the, the 20% targets per route run that he had, which was 30th in the league, but still, that's that's an RB1 benchmark, right? So if we look at the RB1s over since 2011, and we look at their targets per route run, um, 20%, you know, is an RB one. So he was actually fine, but to your point, it's not like he was demanding these. It was all check downs is eight odds behind the line of scrimmage. And so what we will see a lot of times in crowded receiver rooms, which is this one is you've got a Deontay Johnson, you got Claypool, you spent a second round pick on Pickens. We've got Fryermuth, who we just talked about. Um, in those types of situations, most of the time check down type backs, like take a back seat. There's just too many other weapons to get the ball to, um, and so it just takes away, you know, from their target share guys that are more insulated from that sort of thing that I've seen historically are the ones that work downfield. They can run the Texas route, Ian. They're, they're messing yeah, up there we go. Backers against safety. So your Camaras, your CMCs, even your Michael Carters from last year, a lot of those type guys, Aaron Jones really fits this mold as well. Those type Austin Eckler obviously fits this role. How can I leave out the great Austin Eckler? If Nate Yankee listens, he would kill me. <laughs> you know, and this is where I think Travis Etienne right fits into that group as well. I think Brees Hall can also be that type of running back. So um, Barkley can as well. So they're not just swing pass guys. They work their way down the field. Those guys are better at insulating and staying involved in the passing game because they truly can utilize their ability to create those mismatches further down the field, which makes sense because now you got a running back and a mismatch against someone that's slower and you're targeting them three yards down the field. Yeah. Give me that. Okay. So that's the biggest concern. There's just a lot of other mouths to feed in the offense. I don't, I don't think Najee can can sustain his target share from last year, but then, you know, to your point at the end of the day, look, they're, they're going to take some off of his plate this year, but let's look at the Steelers backfield. Okay, I looked at it, and there's no one to name to you. I know. There's no one to name that's really going to. And, and that's the thing with it. There's no one else there. Yeah. So even if even if they want to use a little Snell, little Anthony McFarlane, you know, my long-lost cousin somewhere, <laughs> like 75% snap player probably still in, right? Like last year we saw him be more like in the 85 90% range. So fine. I think they're going to lessen the load on him. Najee has said as much. He's come out and said, look, they're going to take a little bit of this off my plate. But still, I mean, he's going to be in that 70 to 75% snap range just because, you know, of what the depth chart looks like. And Mike Tomlin, you know, has historically been very committed to his lead back. So um, not always to the extent that we saw with Najee last year, but I just don't see a way where he gets much lower than that, which is going to just, it's hard. You, you're not going to be able to push him out of the top 10 with that type of volume.
He did suffer that late season elbow injury, which kind of led to some reduced usage down the stretch. I mean, in the wild card round, it was actually Najee Harris, 44% snaps, Kalen mm-hmm. Balaj, 29%, Benny Snell, 26%. But again, I think that was mostly injury related. Dwayne, how many games do you think Najee had at least eight targets in last year? Where he had at least eight games? Uh, eight I, no, at, le- at least eight targets in a game. Uh, three. One. One. Get this. Yeah. Week three. Know, that, that doesn't surprise me. Week three against the Bengals, he had 19 targets. He caught 14 oh, yeah. of them for 102 yards. Deontay Johnson did not play in that game. Juju was out after like 30% way in. That was when he actually injured his ribs uh, to begin with. And he got 19 targets, man. He that was his Dude, only Juju being hurt was probably a big part of his target share, to be That's honest. That's what I'm Juju saying. Has like a, a two yard A dot. <laughs> and like now bro- Juju's gone, but they'll have somebody to fill that spot. And like, my God, we just need those receptions. He, that was the only game he had over 50 receiving yards. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Sheesh. Okay. <laughs> Good question, Vinny. From B. Deitch, who do you think? And, the, and congrats. Congrats. I got to say, you're, you'll be at the wedding, Ian, so you can tell him. Congrats, absolutely. Congrats. V- to Vinny and Nika. I'm sure she's a big, uh, big fan of the pod. Who do you think the four to six teams that will be able to sustain two wide receiver ones will be based off the fact that like only five teams can do it each season on average? So I think you misheard my previous stat. 4.3 teams per season have two top 24 wide receivers, not even two top 12. So that's ridiculous. I mean, yeah. Clearly, if four teams had two wide receiver ones, it'd only be four other wide receiver ones remaining in the entire league. So, Dwayne, I went through and just basically quickly went through the standings and listed the teams that I thought uh, could possibly enable this. You were kind enough to put the tiers next to it. So I'm going to left off the Chargers. Oh, man. that's a, Well, that's why you're here, man. So we're good there. <laughs> and I don't think can we put James? We can't put Jameson Williams. We don't know when he's going to be on the field right now. Come on. No, I have the Chargers in there. You put I the Lions in Keenan, there, though. Keen, yeah, I have the Lions in there, too. We don't, I, hey, we I don't tiered, even... I, I tiered all these. I tiered them for you. Uh, tier A, Bengals, Jamar <laughs> Chase, and T. Higgins. I agree. Tier A, Bills, Stephon Diggs, and Gabriel Davis. I agree. Tier A, Buccaneers. Between Evans, Goblin, and Gage, again, there's so much volume. So it, Two are getting there. Yeah, like it could be Evans all year, and then Gage for the first half, Goblin for the second half, if you want to think of it that way. With the Rams, Cooper Cup, and Allen Robinson, also Tier A, and the Chargers. Yeah, I can't believe I left them off. Come on, Ian. Uh, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, obviously Tier A in that one. Those are the best bets, and that's why it gets interesting once we start getting into Tier B, because you see Tyreek and Waddle, yeah, this is like, if you start looking at the tier B's, tier C's, and tier D's, like those, the Tyreek and Waddle one, and Dwayne, you just talked about moving Waddle down recently. That's the biggest glaring outlier of this group is Jalen Waddle's potential ADP or Tyreek's ADP. I think one of them is going to disappoint. Yeah, I think, you know, so for tier A, you've got a lot of things going. You have talented receivers, really good quarterbacks. Most of them are pass heavy. On, on on the you know the way the teams are going to run tier B it's kind of a mixture the Raiders I expect to throw the ball more the Dolphins I don't know that they will throw the ball more they may throw the ball the same or less they got run heavy last year down the stretch but we know with Mc, uh with McDaniel he's probably going to try to run the San Francisco style offense so how they get into tier B is they're just two badass players right yeah. it's just Tyreek and Waddle I expect Gasecki to be less involved 
Um, I think both guys can still get, you know, um, to that territory of being in wide receiver twos. You know, we've talked about like, what would it take for them to both be wide receiver ones? And that's really going to be tough. But I think you see one of them finish in the top 12. You see one of them finish, you know, as a mid range to low end wide receiver two. that, that won't surprise me. But yeah, just as we go through the rest of the tier B, you can see that the other guys are usually being priced more so as a wide receiver three, wide receiver four, which makes them more reasonable targets. But the Raiders with Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro, the Broncos with Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, maybe some Tim Patrick in there, Vikings with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, and that rounds out tier B. Moving on to tier C, the Eagles with A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. I think you could even argue they have a chance at tier B, but there's enough of a question mark with how pass heavy they're going to be. Yeah, they were close. They were close because they're two really good players, but you also have Goddard there, you know, so I'm also, I was, I'm thinking through who the tight ends and stuff are plus, you know, how pass heavy run heavy they're going to be. So it, it made them a borderline. And the only other tier C group is uh, Hollywood Brown and DeAndre Hopkins. And yeah, I also having Zach Ertz there. I see why you ended on that. So tier D, the ones that we have a chance, but just not really as much compared to the other guys, two squads, 49ers, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, as well as the lines with the Monroe St. Brown and Jamison Williams. If Jamison's healthy, sure, because we have seen golf do that before. That's, that's just my only concern. I don't think enough of DJ Chark or Josh Reynolds or even Khalif Raymond Wayne to believe that they can uh, step up and yeah, J- Jameson would have to be healthy. Like yeah. it's kind of like, you know, we gave Cardinals a C, right? Cause nuke's yeah. going to miss six games. So I put them in tier D it, it, they were just, you know, we've got a lot of names people think of. I just want it like that's It's a sneaky team. I would put them ahead of the Seahawks with Metcalf and Lockett just because of how terrible the quarterback play is going to be, at least with Jared Goff. We've seen him in the past support multiple, you know, weapons that can finish in the top 24. Like we've actually, I'm pretty sure like the Rams, have been on that list with Goff, you know, as the quarterback. So just thinking through that was why I decided to add them. The only other sneaky one, maybe New Orleans Saints with a healthy Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, maybe Kamara does get suspended. And now Jameis has even more reason. I think that's a good one to be throwing the ball. Around that's probably the tier D. That's probably tier D as well. We did leave Kansas city off because Travis Kelsey's going to be, he's a tight end. Call him a tight end. And yeah, they're not, maybe they get one. Maybe. 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 It, well, it's going to be Kelsey. I don't think any of the others. I don't think any of the others are going to make it. But if the, Sky Moore might, you know, that's the chip, you know, that I'm kind of putting down. But uh, one of them could get there. We've acknowledged that. We just don't like the profiles that much. Um, and the thing with the 49ers is, again, you also have Kittle, yeah. right? So, and look, Debo at this point, as much as we like Ayuk, and he has a really good profile, like Debo's profile is freaking insane, like how good it is. So, it's, I feel like Debo and Kittle could both finish top 12. I mean, Kittle could finish top six and Debo could finish top 12, um, you know, at his position. I think that's more possible than Debo and Ayuk both finishing as top 24 receivers, personally. From Joe Orico at no expert FF, how early is too early to draft Travis Etienne and PPR? Dwayne, we are both ahead of the market on Etienne at the moment. I have him as my RB16 behind Javante Williams, Alvin Kamara, Nick Chubb, DeAndre Swift, Aaron Jones. More I look at it, if we're playing full point, I think you could even argue moving him up a spot or two past Chubb and maybe even past Kamara, depending on the eventual 
suspension, if there is one that gets brought down, I would take ETN ahead of Brees Hall, Zeke, Montgomery, Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins, Elijah Mitchell, amongst other guys. And Dwayne, right now, an underdog going is, uh, you know, the RB50. This is why, again, I think getting Mark Andrews or Kelsey or Kyle Pitts early on makes sense because, like, I don't really want to be reaching on any of those guys I just named ahead of ETN. Like, why take Nick Chubb or Javante Williams in round three? We can go get ETN at the end of round four. I can, you can get Brees Hall and Travis ETN together on the same damn team. (laughs) You know, I have them in the same tier. I've got, you know, my tier two C's, Brees Hall and Travis ETN ranked at 16 and 17. I have Hall one spot above, but I'm not going to argue anybody that wants to flip it. You know, to me, they're the same profile. Um, both guys that we know are dual threat backs, you know, have some explosive playmaking ability, not really on great teams. Um, so I like both of them and I love getting them. Um, the thing I'll say, you know, with ETN, right, really, you know, the, the big risk really for him is just that we're coming off the Liz Franck, you know, injury. And so there was a really good tweet that was put out there. So if you guys want to go check it out, it's uh, Miguel um, Chapton. I hope I'm saying it right, but it's at pro football PSI. And so he has a nice thread that just gives you all of the Liz Franck injuries. Now what he doesn't do, and I wanted to do before we got on, but I didn't have time, um, ran out of time, but looking at Liz Franck injuries. So he starts to list them. Cedric Benson never played again, but what I don't know is how old were these players like when the injury happened? Cause the thing um, when looking at, you know, ETN, super young, right? He's got age definitely on his side. Amir Abdullah went through it, career backups. Antonio Holmes, sharp decline, sharp decline year after he was out of the league within two years. Santonio Holmes was a little older, not super old though. Ronnie Brown, sharp decline, became a career backup. Darren McFadden, sharp decline, brief rebound in Dallas. Maurice Jones, Maurice Jones Drew was definitely older, played one more season, sharp decline. Marquise Brown, he says hasn't lived up to expectations so far. So far, I actually disagree with that one. I think Marquise Brown is a lot better than what people give him credit for. Looking at his underlying data points, Cam Newton sharp decline. Uh, Jake Locker. I mean, I don't really Camp know how still good he ran. Was. Camp still ran for like twelve touchdowns in twenty twenty. Yeah. He's got Alshon Jeffrey in here uh, in twenty twenty. So Alshon was older. So I mean, the main ones are the guys. Are you guys can go check out the rest of the thread. It goes on. There's there's more. It keeps going. So there's a lot of them. And overall, like it doesn't look good, but. The one thing I noticed with these, none of these guys that I'm naming, um, besides Marquise Brown, are really young whenever this injury you know, occurred. Now, he's got some other ones that are lower, like Joe Mix and Brian Westbrook, where they had sprains, not fractures, but that's really a different category to me. Um, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I could be wrong on that. You guys can hit us up. But um, the Marquise Brown is the best one that I see because he's a younger player, and I disagree that he hasn't lived up to expectations. But obviously, there is some risk. You listen to the, less, to the rest of that group. I would have to look at when that happened to Ronnie Brown, Ian. That was the one I really wanted to look up, you know, how young was he. But anyway, so there's just a word of caution. Not to say you can't do it. Um, we still like ETN, but I always like to give that fair and balanced, you know, uh, analysis. Yeah, and I just, man, like, think about where we are medically compared to 15 years ago. That's why, like, even more and more when I'm doing these studies, I think going going past 10, 12 years, you're almost just doing yourself a disservice. You know, the, the whole Devontae Smith point. Yeah, how many wide receivers have been under 170 pounds? You know, yeah, 25 years ago, of course you're not going to be 170, 170 pounds. When have we ever drafted as many as we did in the second round over the last two years? Right. <laughs> have been but, at that weight or less. Like, do, do, the league's remember, going that way. You remember how football used to be? They quarterback would overthrow a slant. The wide receiver doesn't even get a hand on it, and he gets his head taken off for no reason. There would be no flag out there. Like Nowadays, you know, it's a square hit, but the guy hits him too hard, and the, the ref just throws a flag on instinct. So, 
it's hey, I'm all, I'm all here for medical uh, research and having you know good strong takeaways from it. But hey, Etn, he's healthy. I think the Achilles history is just as problematic. Uh, yeah, all in on Travis Etienne still. Out of Chase Claypool and Pickens, who do you see having a season that significantly raises their respective value in Dynasty from Bolt Chief? Yeah, man. I mean, I remember it was like in February or something, and some I forget his name, but someone just added me. And they're like, "Hey, man, I'm a. I think he said he worked night shift or something, and he was like, "I'm bored. Like, do you have a uh, just a Dynasty sleeper for me?" So I decided to think really hard for about 15 minutes, and I came up with Chase Claypool just because of you know I think a lot of things that you have uh, quantified here, Dwayne, like. It was one year that is getting overblown how bad it was because he freaking celebrated a first down for a little bit too long. So yeah, probably shouldn't have done that, but I don't know, man. Like, is that why we're fading the guy? We're fading someone who scored 13 touchdowns, I believe, as a rookie because he celebrated a little bit too much once upon a time. Like, is the juju stench that terrible? I mean, come on, man. I just think Claypool, the things he's been able to do after the catch at the catch point, he really is just a complete receiver. I I never understood the crowd that tried to say he was a tight end coming out of college. Like, if you thought he was a tight end, you must have thought he was going to be the best tight end like we've ever freaking seen in terms of receiving ability because he sure as hell looks fine to me as a receiver. I think there's a reason why the Steelers haven't uh, signed Deontay Johnson to a long-term deal yet. Maybe they still will, but man, if Deontay's out of the picture, Kenny Pickett ends up not being terrible. Chase Claypool could arguably be their wide receiver one as early as 2023. Yeah, I love Claypool. Um, You know, I took him in uh, my first FFPC Football Guys Players Championship draft, which was last week. Draft with a lot of other really sharp guys. I actually took him ahead of ADP. I mean, part of it was just looking at the board and things the way things were going to go. But like he was in that tier of guys where I was like, I need one of these. And he's my wide receiver five on the team. But just love the upside that you get. I know we have quarterback issues, et cetera, but I I don't really care um, because we're talking about dynasty, especially here. Right. So whenever I look at, you know, Claypool wide receiver two as a rookie and he backed all of that up with a PFF uh Receiver grade was wide, was wide receiver two worthy as targets per route run, yards per route run. All of those things were wide receiver two worthy. Yes, last year he had a wide receiver four finish, um, but his targets per route run was also still wide receiver three worthy. So um, I'm all, I love Claypool. Um, we know that the quarterback situation there will eventually improve, whether that means Kenny Pickett taking it over or they got to go back and swing again next year. I feel good about the Steelers eventually getting that fixed. And, and again, like in Claypool could end up on another team, you know, a, a year after that. So I just think there's a lot of outs left for a young, talented player. And the thing with Claypool, Ian, we just don't see many guys that have the build he does anymore to truly be. And can do the things he does. Like he can win down the field over the top. He can he can he can run past you, catch a bucket pass over you, and just take off for fifty yards for a touchdown. He can go contested on your ass in the end zone, you know, and just you know hulk the ball away from you. They he's good enough of an athlete. They get him involved in end arounds. They get him involved in the screen game. Um, and he you know so likewise he can take a shorter pass and take it long. So I just think he's got a pretty unique profile as far as like you know I know you kind of the, the term you like to use it's the baseball like he's the a five tool player. Like Claypool's really close to being a true five tool player. He's just got a he he's got maturing to do. He just needs to continue to grow and it sounds like he's committed to that. If you've read any of this stuff this off season, you know it's it's like he's he's found his center. He wants to really work through it. He knows how good he can be. So I'm all in on Chase Claypool. From 
Rory Sumner at Sumner Rory. Adam Thielen has mentioned in various interviews that the Vikings new offense is a big commitment to everything looking the same. Chances of Thielen benefiting from the coaching change more than Justin Jefferson in terms of replicating some of the things that make Cup so dominant. So I agree with the overall point where like, can we chill out on the Cooper Cup role with Justin Jefferson? Like, I don't know. Let's not, maybe not, maybe don't even change the role that made Justin Jefferson arguably the most productive wide receiver we've ever seen through the first two seasons. Like, who gives a shit if the Cooper Cup role is on the table for Jefferson? He doesn't need the Cooper Cup role. He's Justin freaking Jefferson. So, yeah, I could see Adam Thielen benefiting from a more pass happy approach, which I think they will be having in this uh, Kevin O'Connell led offense, letting Kirk Cousins throw the ball around the yard a little bit, which, to be fair, they've already started kind of transitioning away from uh, within the past you know 12 to 18 months so with that in mind I think Adam Thielen yeah you know we're not treating him I'm not saying Adam Thielen's gonna just all of a sudden be 2018 Adam Thielen again or 2017 Adam Thielen but man we don't even have to draft him close to what he was then seeing him go off the board as a borderline wide receiver three I think he has a lot of room for uh, benefiting in that and especially Irv Smith who I can barely go you know one podcast out without hyping as this year's late round tight end because he's going to check all those boxes that you know Dwayne will bring up weeks one through 17 one through 18 once we get into the season because we just don't see tight ends that aren't on the field for 75 percent plus of the dropbacks be able to have enough opportunities to put up numbers and fantasy football i mean look at the top scoring tight ends and then look at the top tight ends and targets like it's almost a one for one so earth Smith should be out there on the field enough to vie for that sort of target total and if not he's still going to be out there enough in a good offense and i trust his talent enough to think that it could be a dawson knox-esque situation where he has a high touchdown total with a limited target tree. So a lot of upside for Irv Smith, especially where he's going, Dwayne. I know you do have some reasons to, you know, not be too overly optimistic on Adam Thielen, but I think even you can admit like where he's going in drafts is perfectly reasonable. Yeah, I like Thielen. Um, like the specific quote is pretty much coach speak. Like the, the Vikings already did this last year. <laughs> Gary Kubiak's offense is really based around the same thing. You're just going to see more 11 personnel instead of 12 personnel. Um, or 21. So like Kubiak, you know, installed that offense several, you know, a few years ago, it's pretty much what they've just continued running. You know, Stefanski runs the same offense now in Cleveland, but all around making everything look the same. You don't know if it's a run. You don't know if it's a pass. The difference now will be you're going to have the other team in nickel um, and you could still run the ball because you're going to use three wide receivers instead of either two tight ends or a fullback, right. And a running back. And so like um, we've seen a lot of fullback utilization by um, with C.J. Ham by the Vikings over the last couple of years, that's probably going to go down a little bit. But I think for me, the big opportunity would be really if Thielen gets to kick inside to the slot. And, and the reason why it's not, and again, to your point, I'm not saying just fade Thielen. I've got him as a wide receiver three right now. Um, but his yards per route run, they're on the decline. 1.86, 1.63 over the last two years. He, had, he used to be a 2.0 guy. And then you look at his targets per route run. He, I think his career high was a 25 percenter. Now he's 21 percent down to 19 percent. So entering age 32, his 10th year, he's at the year where it could suddenly hit and everything's over. Like that's he's that's in his range of outcomes now. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. So I would like to see him get to play the slots more just because I think that would probably give him a chance to really continue to, say, be more like a 1.85, 1.9 yards, yards per route guy versus having to work outside more press coverage better you know coverage corners a lot of the time i think that would be a positive development for Thielen. but as far as like just the other stuff i think it's just pretty much coach coach speak everything looks the same that, that was already the case you know for the vikings as far as irv smith goes um love him 
love Irv Smith. Uh, and and what I, everything I just said with Thielen is another reason to put a chip down on Irv Smith, in my opinion, just because I think there's a chance that Irv Smith is the number two option in the offense. Yes, we haven't seen him do it yet, but remember, it takes tight ends longer to break out. And last year, you didn't get to see Irv Smith in year three. He missed the whole season. So kind of, I'm not as worried with some folks who are like, well, year one or year two, blah, blah, blah. I, it, look, it takes tight ends a little longer. We know how good Irv Smith was in college. He's got the second round draft capital. I love taking Irv Smith, you know, as the late round tight end. Five more to get through. Who do we think the true wide receiver one in Los Angeles is? The Chargers. Does Mike Williams have an upper hand getting the $20 million deal? Or will it still be reliable Keenan like he always has been? Is there room for them both to be top 12 options from Sam Wagman at Swagman95? Always appreciate Sam in the old uh, Twitter yeah, feed. Sam. Always got something good to say. I appreciate that. It's Keenan Allen when did this love for Mike Williams come from Dwayne? I felt like we had to spend the last 12 months usually defending Mike Williams. And now I'm seeing people wanting to rank him ahead of Keenan Allen, which like, okay, I'm happy people are into him. They should be into Justin Herbert's number two wide receiver, but make no mistake about it. This is still Keenan Allen's offense. Just because the guy is a year older, doesn't mean he's not going to be flirting with that 150 target mark again and again. So is there an argument that Mike Williams could outscore Keenan based on his higher average target depth and the big playability and the potential red zone looks, that's fine. But to me, uh, making that argument is basically like picking MBS over Juju Smith-Schuster, which nobody seems uh, to want to be doing. I'm far more willing to say that's close. So yeah, I, I do think it's close, Dwayne. I'm happy that you know everyone has seen the light, I think, uh, over the past few months and just realizing that, yeah, like we should try to be targeting uh, Justin Herbert's number two receiver. But I do continue to think he is just that, number two. Yeah, I have them really close, so I only have them one player apart. <laughs> I've got Keenan Allen, then Jalen Waddle, then Mike Williams. You know, so I mean, I in best ball, give me Mike Williams just because I want the big play touchdown upside, especially in a half point like underdog. If that's where you're playing, if someone wants to take Allen there, I'm still fine with it. Technically, I've got Keenan Allen, you know, a little bit ahead of of Mike Williams. I think the thing is, it's just really closer than we think. I think the other thing that is on the table, this could be the year that Williams does take over Keenan. Keenan is another player that's going into year 10, age 30 season. Look, one of these guys is going to fall off the cliff. Like whether it's, you know, Mike Evans, whether it's Keenan Allen, whether it's Adam Thielen, we've just got a lot of guys going into year nine and year 10. DeAndre Hopkins is also on the table for that conversation. Like we just know that over time, you know, we start to see a decline, you know, in these players. And it's not to say that it's going to, it won't happen to all of them in the same year. We can't tell you which ones it's going to be, but the data says one to two of them are going to fall off and probably one of them will just be a massive disappointment this season. And so with that baked in, like, I feel like there's also really a chance for Williams to, just to take over and be the lead not and when i say that you know i don't think it'll all of a sudden be mike williams 26 percent target share and keenan allen 20 i think it you know when i say take the lead like he could slightly edge him out right it might be more like a 24 23 percent but if that were to occur and you get mike williams what he does in the end zone and the target share he demands in the end zone which is far higher than keenan allen his ability to hit the big plays i think that's enough to swing him right if you really want to you know it's like what you talked about at the beginning, Ian, you know, with, um, you know, best ball and not being a, not being afraid, like to take a little bit bigger swing with them being so close to each other in the ranks. Um, personally, I hope Keenan Allen just keeps balling out because I love watching Keenan Allen. Like he's one of my favorite receivers to watch play like true craftsman of the game. 
um, like just setting things up from the beginning of the game that you'd later see him come back to and just, you know, kill a opposing DB with. Like there's nobody like Keenan Allen in that regard. So it's just some of the same things. Yards per route run slipping 2.01, 1.90, 1.77 targets per route run. Uh, the lowest that we've seen since 2014, but still was a solid 23%, right? So he's not down there with what we've seen with a guy like um, Adam Thielen, not down there even like what we've seen with a guy like Mike Williams. It was really low last year and nobody's talking about it. Keenan was still well ahead of those guys. So maybe Keenan is the least likely, you know, to miss. But again, when you start seeing the slipping profile, it's not something I want to just ignore. I'd rather be a year ahead than year behind because typically once this happened, like the big, big years are gone. Like, you're just hoping they hang on. You're really not going to get the big bang season again once the decline has already started, you know, just looking at the data historically. Can it happen occasionally? Yeah, I would never say never. But I think that's enough for me, especially in half point and a a best ball to swing me to Williams. You want to talk full point PPR, uh, you know, redraft? I think I'm fine, you know, if you still want to go Allen. But if you want to go Williams, it's not going to bother me either. Since 2017, 102 catches, 97, 104, 100, most recently 106. I'm taking Keenan Allen over Mike Williams with confidence because Keenan is number one in my humble opinion. Dwayne, we got to move a little fast through these. I have a lovely uh, Washington Commanders podcast coming up in 15 minutes. Oh, sweet. But we can get through a handful. Uh, from Gonzo, Dr. Gonzo305, shout out to freaking, dude, Gonzo journalism is so fucking badass. Hunter S. Thompson, the GOAT, obviously. But uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to maybe maybe one day expanding uh, the old wings, Dwayne, and maybe trying my hand at that. Anyway, when should I draft a quarterback in a 10-team half PPR league like strategy and timing? Always mess it up and get late-round QB, but the winning teams always have an elite QB. Also, how do we feel about Justin Jefferson in the first round any pick? Great day to be great. You're damn right it is. Yeah, we talked about Justin Jefferson plenty should not be going outside the top four picks under any circumstances not even if there's a fire in terms of a 10-team league Dwayne I think in a 10-team league I would absolutely be trying to get one of the big six quarterbacks who are you adding on with the big seven who am I missing well, I don't I don't know if you had Hertz inside your big six I thought for some reason you had Hertz at seven no he said maybe yeah. you didn't okay yeah so if as long as we're including Hertz yeah then yeah. I think that's fine if you do miss on her and read the board don't force it like if see how they're falling if you happen to miss on hurts i wouldn't panic because you can still get a russell wilson you, you still get one of these other guys but worst case you walk away with trey lance and Derek carr and and you can in, in a home league 10 rounder like you could totally walk away with that remember as much as we want to have one of those league winners we've also seen guys like lamar jackson you know in the past which profiles very similarly to trey lance We've seen those guys come through and still be league winners, and you can get them later. You can get them later, and we both have already talked about how much we like Carr. Looking ahead, Girl Scout gun. Oh no, no, I'm sorry, skip one. Must only use. <laughs> you just want to jump to that one. <laughs> I know, I was excited. Must only use Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and Trevor Lawrence from both Ian and Dwayne's perspective. Debate, but. Spoiler, we are in agreement here for once. Yeah, we usually in agreement. Which quarterback is the likeliest to be 2022's Jalen Hurts? We both agree it is Trey Lance. Which quarterback is likeliest to crack the top three come season's end? League winner potential. Also, Trey Lance. Which quarterback is not, n- neither and why? We agree that is going to be Trevor Lawrence. Fields is the runner-up to the Hurts pick. It just comes down to Lance and Fields having a rushing upside that is just not even in Lawrence's stratosphere. And in the Jaguars preview, Dwayne, one thing we we talked about a lot was like let's just see Lawrence get up the at to average man like the, this idea that he's going to make like a burrow s leap again burrow was so much better as a rookie than Lawrence was last year Lawrence was atrocious I'm not saying he can't get better I think he will get better but 
I think chill on the breakout talk still an offense, even though they've made some additions, like the, the, I'll take the jets offense over the Jaguars offense in terms of surrounding cast eight days of the week. And I don't think it's particularly close. So it's not anything with Lawrence. I think he's in a better situation, but it's still not even, I think he'd be, I think he'd struggle to call that Jaguars offense average. Even they're probably still below average. And I'm just not sure that we've seen enough for him. So yeah. I just, yeah, we can move forward. I don't see those situations really being anything close no. <laughs> with Lawrence exactly. Burrow. I just don't so. see it. Now for the main event from Jack Mulqueen. Girl Scout, gun to your head. What players do you think will be over undervalued going into home league draft season compared to best ball ADP? I wrote down some quick ones, and then I'll throw it over to you, Dwayne. You can list some of your uh, bigger, smaller guys versus ADP that you release in your lovely top 150 article. So guys I think might be overvalued going to home league draft season. Dak Prescott, maybe at quarterback. I just think these days he's a little bit more Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr than people are giving him credit for without the rushing ability. And he's in a Cowboys offense that, yeah, they keep the pace up, but they do like to be run balanced when possible. Running back Cam Akers talked about him already a lot with Daryl Henderson, but the assumption he's just going to get that Todd Gurley role, I think people might be holding on to a little too tightly. Wide receiver, I just with Jalen Waddle, the Waddles of Deontay Johnsons of the world. I'm just more skeptical that they specifically are earning targets the same way some other guys do. When you look at the offenses, lack of overall talent, and then just having such bad efficiency numbers other than the earning targets. Uh, it's a situation where I don't think he'll be bad, but I do think he might be overvalued. TJ Hawkinson at tight end, just guys like Dalton Schultz, Gronk, I think should be going higher. Undervalued Justin Fields. We saw him in a shitty offense last year, and he was able to give us four QB1 finishes in his last five starts. If he's going to be going like QB18, there's our late-round QB if we want to actually attack that. Leonard Fournette, people refuse to accept he's good for whatever reason. Terry McLaurin at wide receiver, just falling behind a bunch of guys I don't think he should be behind. Talked about Smith at tight end, and maybe even Gronk, Dwayne. Like I could just see it happen where like Gronk, because he's being priced as the tight end 11-12, like, even once he signs, he just might not move that high when I think he should be automatically up to tight end six but talk about uh some guys you have that are especially over or undervalued at the moment yeah so over um camaro we've talked about it really all comes back to what's going to happen um yeah. you know with the potential uh suspension uh next would be nick chubb look we love nick chubb maybe the best pure runner in the nfl uh you know he's definitely in the top three of that category but we've got um, Kareem Hunt still there. You've got Dearness Johnson there. So Kareem Hunt is an excellent passing down back. Also a really good, you know, runner himself, probably in the top yeah. six, like as far as our advanced metrics go. And, you know, Dearness Johnson and, and Jerome Ford are just enough to clog the way that if for some reason Kareem Hunt were to be hurt and then Chubb were to get to take over more, like how much does he get to take over? We've just seen they're not really willing to give Chubb all the work. Um, I would say Amari Cooper, you know, is another one, especially one. with the questions hanging over uh, Deshaun Watson. Look, we love Amari, great route runner, but never really has opened up all the other facets to his game. Probably just a 20% target per route run guy, just like what we've seen through his career. I don't think he's going to be bigger. And we've talked about Juju Smith-Schuster before, so I won't spend a lot of time on him on the pod. But his ADP is just too high. People are assuming, you know, 2018 Juju. Yeah, the Chiefs offense is part of it, but there's just a lot of bad underlying data points for him that I don't like the ADP on. As far as guys that we want to be above, um, you know, I'm looking at CD lamb, 
you know, Javonta Williams. So Javonta, look, he's still going to have Melvin Gordon, but Gordon's going into, he's getting older. He's picked up a lot of carries, third most carries going into the season. Javonta, you know, checked a ton of boxes for us. You know, he's basically like Chubb and these other efficient runners. So it's all about the league potential winning upside, but a lot of people will really shy away from Williams because of Gordon. Kyle Pitts, we talked about yesterday, or not yesterday, maybe the day before on the Atlanta Falcons. They all, so they all can, blend together at this point. People can go back and check the, the Kyle Pitts love that we gave. Uh, we've already talked about Brees Hall, Travis Etienne, Clyde Edwards-Alaire we covered yesterday on the Kansas City Chiefs pod. So if you guys want to see more, though, you can go check out my top 150. Those would be some of my top ones. Final question from another country at another country. Eight. What are situations, roles we are all accepting as fact that may not necessarily be true? For example, AJB would be the number one in Philly and see more targets than Devontae. Uh, Devonta, excuse me. The Ravens will run like it's 2019. Dalvin will still be a bell cow. The Bucks will throw as much as last year, etc. Great question. Appreciate you. I do. I, I do like those. Uh, you know, I think AJB, hundred million reasons why he'll probably be the number one. Ravens. We've kind of seen them trading Hollywood hint towards that. Dalvin. I just think he's probably the best running back there, but that we've talked about the potential for Madison to eke into that a little more and the Bucks throwing as much as last year. Once Gronk gets back there and just Goblin, I, I think they'll be fine. Brady, the, the cut, the passes they do a lot of times, like just those short screens and the dump downs, like having Brady be that efficient for them. And Dwayne, the stuff you've talked about, we're like, even when the Bucks are leading by a lot, like they're still comfortable throwing the ball, like well over the average we'd expect from a team. So with that said, I had three Dwayne, you got really excited and wrote down seven yourself. So I'll list mine first. And then the floor is yours. My friend, number one, I believe that there will be a wide receiver. I, there will not really be a wa- single wide receiver break out in Green Bay and Kansas. Dwayne likes to think that I'm stealing this idea from him. I like to think that, you know, we both came to it separately, um, <laughs> but you know, it is what it is there. But yeah, I think in Kansas City, obviously Travis Kelsey's going to do his thing and Green Bay. It sure seems like Aaron Jones could just be that guy. We end up getting a bunch of wide receiver threes in between that are fine, but maybe not blowing up the way we're expecting one to. Um, I think there's a possibility that Zeke is a complete workhorse. The Cowboys were using him in that role until he hurt his P- PCL in week four. Not saying he won't get injured again. I don't think he's going to be necessarily even as effective as he was early on in the year because of the 1500 carry mark but we just want Tony Pollard to be the guy so bad. And there's just continues to be a chance that Zeke's going to be clearing 300 touches. Albeit it'd be a lot cooler. Pollard was that guy. And finally, I think there's a chance that Swift might not be the overwhelming workhorse over Jamal Williams. And I looked at their splits before this podcast, Dwayne in the first seven weeks, Swift played a lot more snaps, but he only had two, he had two more, maybe even, I think he only had two more rush attempts than Jamal Williams in weeks one through seven. Now, he had a ton more targets, and we want those, and just in expected points, we actually saw Swift work as the RB5 uh, in weeks one through seven, so I think he'll be okay, but I brought up that stat before, where we do have to realize that so much of Swift's work, and like nobody, no one in the entire league had more targets than Swift, down seven or more in the fourth quarter, so a lot of that was garbage time. If that just dries up a little bit, Jamal Williams starts scoring the touchdowns. Could be a sneaky scenario where it's like, yeah, similar to, uh, you know, what I was talking about with Tony Pollard, people just hoping Zeke doesn't exist. I mean, Jamal Williams is going to be there. He's It's going to be a 1A, 1B situation. Swift is that 1A, but right now, man, where Jamal's going at the end of drafts, I am fine scooping that up. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one. And if you go look at Jamal and DeAndre Swift splits, like whenever the game's within three points, that's where everything really tightens up. So if the Lions get better, you could argue that you know Swift picks up some value because maybe they're scoring more touchdowns. 
but we could see Jamal Williams uh, more involved if they're not trailing quite as often as what we saw last year. So I'll run through mine really quick. Um, after each one of mine for the next three, Ian says that I just hate Mike Evans. So you guys can guess where I'm going with number four. <laughs> um, you know, as we were doing the show sheet and it's in a Google doc, like we're both writing over each other's text. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I was <laughs> laughing here. Yeah, I was too. Uh, so look, I put my, I really do like Mike Evans. I don't hate him, but we've got Mike Evans, you know, and what he did late in the season with God went out, we're treating him like he's going to do that all season. And like, really, when we look at Mike Evans, some of the same concerns I talked about earlier, targets per route run over the last three seasons, 23%, 19%, 18%. Yards per route run, 2.3, oh, down to 1.79, down to 1.65 last year. This is a guy going into year nine, age 29 season. I'm not saying this will be the year that he falls off. I think he will play really well early in the season. And I think people will be very excited about it. And there will be victory laps to be had. There will be dunking on Dwayne for six weeks <laughs> to begin the season, probably from Ian every single week when we kick off a podcast on Sunday night and Mike Evans scored two touchdowns. And I'm ready for that. My biggest point is I don't think, you know, looking at him, he's up to, he's up to wide receiver eight at this point, you know, and his profile does not say he's a wide receiver one really anymore um, from all the underlying data. He's really checking more wide receiver three, wide receiver four, some wide receiver two boxes. Again, he's playing a really good offense, so I like that. But just realize when you come down the stretch and you're trying to win your fantasy championship and Chris Godwin's back, Russell Gage has worked his way in, we know Gronk's going to be there, I think you're going to see something similar, you know, to what we've seen with Evans, you know, where he's playing with the rest of those guys, which is good. It's a wide receiver, too. It's just not a top eight. And so I'm just thinking about the end of the season. To go hand in hand with that, I think Russell Gage could possibly lead the Buccaneers over the first half of the season in targets. And Ian says, just because I hate Mike Evans, which is, again, not true. But looking at Russell Gage, like just looking at what he does, like I think he's going to play this Antonio Brown role. Look, folks, I'm not saying he's Antonio Brown because Antonio Brown's an absolute beast. But Russell Gage has done some really, really good things. If you look at him over the last couple of years, wide receiver four in year three, but 21% targets per route run, PFF receiving grade 73.7. Those were already wide receiver three numbers last year. Wide receiver four again, but his PFF receiving grade, targets per route run, yards per route run, all already screaming that he is a wide receiver two. Um, number six, Cortland Sutton, I think should be going ahead of, of Jerry Judy by one round, probably going to be on the field. Number seven, Jared Goff, he can support fantasy weapons. We don't love Jared Goff, but we've seen him do it with the Rams. So don't forget that with Amon Ross St. Brown, with Jamison Williams, maybe even TJ Hawkinson. And so we'll leave it there, Ian. We've got some others we can talk about later, but I know that you got to bounce. you got to do your commander's thing. I think that's enough. I do want to read your last one because I like it. That Rondale Moore can't break out in the early weeks as a slot receiver and cement a role for the remainder of the season. There's no reason why A.J. Green slash Antoine Wesley should be holding down one of the starting spots. Maybe Cliff sees the light. Maybe not. But, Dwayne, this was a lot of fun. I did not expect us to go this long, so my apologies for dipping out, everyone. But thank you again for the questions. And, again, we will continue to try our hardest to get to a lot more of these as the offseason goes on. So thank you to everyone who submitted. Thank you to everyone who listened. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks for tuning in to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.